to turn your Bibles today to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We began a new sermon series last week called Goliath, and for the next four weeks, we're learning about trusting God in the face of giants. We're looking in 1 Samuel 17 at the greatest underdog story that's possibly ever been told. Maybe one of the greatest stories of all time. It's the story of a little shepherd boy that comes face to face with a nine foot nine inch giant named Goliath. Most people are familiar with the story. This week I just did a, a Google search and I found uh, for David and Goliath everything from sports stories to hunting illustrations. Maybe it's just the time of the year. I don't know. Maybe my browser's just tuned for what I like to look for. But there's all kinds of people in all kinds of different walks of life that understand David and Goliath even outside of the church context. So why would we spend six weeks around this story and focused on Goliath? Well, the reason we're focusing on this story today and for these next few weeks is because although David defeated Goliath, there are still giants in our land today. There's things like addiction and depression and anxiety and fear and worry and greed and self and doubt and grief and unforgiveness. And the list goes on and on and on. I want you to know that as I'm preaching about these giants that we face in our lives, and I'm preaching from experience, I'm not exempt from facing giants as a pastor. In fact, I can remember back to a difficult time in our lives a number of years ago where there was a health situation with our extended family that was happening, was out of control, and as a result crept into our lives fear and anxiety and stress and depression. And at the same time in our extended family, there were some conflict issues that had been brewing for a long time, but... It really came to the surface and it led to giants of anger and unforgiveness and added stress. There were some good days, but there were a lot of bad days where these giants would boast and brag about their high place in our lives. It was easy to become paralyzed instead of facing the giants. It was crippling. And I can tell you there were times where we didn't want to go anywhere or do anything or see anyone. There were days we just wanted to curl in a ball and shut down as a result of these giants. That's real. It happens to believers in Christ, and it happens to leaders in Christ. Your relationship with God doesn't come with a promise of a giant-free life. That's why we're coming back to the story of a shepherd boy who comes out to fight the nine-foot giant. Because God wants you to know today that you can live free from whatever is terrorizing you or demoralizing you or intimidating you in your life. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how tall it is how long it's been there, or how many times it's knocked you down. God wants you to know that you can live free. And I want you to know today that I'm still human. I still face giants. It's not something that you'll ever entirely outgrow or become exempt from. We are in Christ, but we're still in a battle. And anyone that tries to sell you a version of faith that doesn't include a spiritual battle isn't telling you the whole truth. There are battles ahead and there will be giants in our life. But even so, I've faced enough giants and seen God's faithfulness enough in my own life that I can have the courage to be able to tell you today that you may feel like you're down and that you can't get back up. You may feel like there's no hope, there's no light, but I promise you that God can free you from whatever giant has its foot on your neck today. So if you weren't able to be in service with us last week as we began this series or you need a refresher or a reminder, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and God's people have come to the valley of Elah. They're camped on a hill overlooking the valley on one side and the Philistine army is on a hill on the other side. This was a familiar foe to the people of Israel. 
And I think this is important because I think a lot of us keep running into the same thing over and over again at different times and in different seasons in our lives. And for the people of God, that was the Philistines. It was the Philistines that opposed Samson in the book of Judges. They also stole the Ark of the Covenant and paraded it through their cities and, and displayed it at the temple of their god, Dagon. Here they show up again. Interestingly enough, the Philistines were named among the inhabitants of the promised land that God gave to the children of Israel. They were listed among the people that would need to be driven out of the land or destroyed. But at the end of Joshua's life, the Philistines remained in the land. And as a result, they show up again and again and again. We talked about it last week. The giants will never just go away. They have to be defeated. And so here are the Philistines a figurative giant that had yet to be defeated, and representing them is Goliath, a literal giant champion that's undefeated. And every day he's shouting and taunting and tormenting the army of God. But on hearing Goliath's words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And the Bible says in verse 24 that when they saw Goliath, they all ran from him in great fear. And among all the soldiers and all of God's people, no one was willing to face the giant. We talked about it last week that so many of us are in the same position. I believe there's so many of God's people that are living their lives in defeat because they're, they're terrorized and terrified of the giant in their life. There's some giant that's risen up again in your son or in your daughter, or you see it in your husband or your wife. It's in your family or in your own life. It's in your business. And it feels like it's four feet tall. It's, it's five feet tall. It's nine feet tall. It's 90 feet tall. And we see it coming and it leaves us dismayed and terrified, and we keep running away. Despite the promise of God, we just keep saying, I'm going to steer clear of this giant and just hope for the best. See, this isn't a 3,000-year-old story. For some of you here, it's a three-week-old story. Mm -hmm. It started when you got to campus for the semester. It's a three-day-old story. If you're honest, when you walked into church today, it was a three-minute-old story, and the latest chapter was being written on your way to church today. But the exciting thing that happened last week in both of our services, there were so many people that made the decision to no longer stand by or run away in fear, but to face their giant and fight. And so many of you wrote down the name of your giant and you took a stand to say that Goliath will not own me and giants will not control me. I'm going to fight. And, and throughout the week, it was so exciting, I began to receive emails and, and text messages and Facebook messages from people that said things like, the giants are coming down. One message that I got was so awesome. It made me so happy. It said, I took down a giant today. And I can't tell you how exciting it was to read that message. And I'm praying and believing that there's more giants that are going to fall. So right now, if you weren't here last week or you were too cool for school and didn't write down your giant, I want you to do it right now. I want you to flip over your worship guide to the notes section on the back or pull out your phone. You have to stop playing your Facebook game or whatever it is you're doing on it for a second. <laughs> Write down the name of the giant that you're facing. This is just between you and God. No one's ever going to ask you to see it. Unless you share it, no one will ever know. But I want you to write it down so it's clear that when the giant comes down, it's not a coincidence, but it's a specific answer to a specific prayer. And maybe today you want to write down another giant. Maybe you wrote one last week and you realize there's more than one. That's fine. Write down four or five, and we'll believe God for all of them. There's some scholars that believe that the reason that David went to the brook and selected five stones from the riverbed, when it only took one stone to kill Goliath, wasn't because he was afraid he was going to miss. It wasn't because he was inaccurate with his sling. 
probably just to the contrary. He knew exactly how many it was going to take, and that's all it took. A lot of scholars believe it's because Goliath wasn't the only giant in his family. Goliath had four brothers who were also giants, and they aren't mentioned in 1 Samuel 17, but they are in other Bible passages. And these, these giants were also terrifying. The Bible tells us they had more than five fingers on each hand and more than five toes on each foot. They were terrifying giants. And maybe David got five stones, just maybe, because he wanted not only to take down Goliath, but any other giant that he may face as well. So today, as you're writing down your giant, write all of your giants. Don't let any of them remain. And as you're doing that, there's two main things that I want you to answer today. And you don't have to answer these to me. I don't need to know, but I want you to answer it to yourself. First of all, what's your giant or what are your giants? You should have written something down by now. What's the biggest, most significant issue in your life that's keeping you from being and doing everything that God wants you to do? Maybe it's an issue, an addiction, a habit, or a fear. Maybe it started small, but you've been fighting it for 40 days, or maybe it's been 40 years, and now despite every remedy you try, every program or product or YouTube tutorial video that you watch, the issue remains, and now it's a giant in your life, and it seems like you'll never win this battle. Maybe someone here today has been fighting depression and suicidal thoughts for years, and you don't know when it's going to pop up. You've given up on ever changing. You just have decided you're going to live with it. Could be that for you it's low self-esteem. You feel like you don't measure up. And you see yourself as less than. You've decided that the giant's too big and you're just going to live with it. You're going to leave it alone because it's not going to go away. It's been there too long. Maybe you've been in an unhealthy relationship after unhealthy relationship. Marriages have failed. Dating relationships, even friendships. And you're convinced that you'll never be able to have a healthy relationship with anyone. Maybe that's the giant in your life. Or maybe it's shame or doubt, overeating or worry or pornography. It could be a person, a relationship, a financial situation. What are your giants? Write them down. The second question I want you to answer, what is it that's keeping you from destroying that giant? Why is that thing still in your life? I don't know what your giant is, but I have good news. God has a plan that involves you defeating that giant and being free from its influence. I'm not trying to beat around the bush or hide my motives with this sermon series. I want you over the next several weeks to confront and overcome the biggest challenge in your life. With God's help, you can, and you will take on the biggest issues in your life and defeat the giants. It's going to require you to fight. It'll take prayer, and that's a great start, but it'll likely take more than prayer. You may need to change lifelong habits. You may need to find some accountability that will really hold your feet to the fire and, and help you to make the changes that you need to make. You may even need to get professional help or some other significant step, but you can fight this giant and you can win. Amen. I hope that if you were here last week, you came back today ready for more information on how to defeat your giant and that you're still determined that Goliath cannot stay in your life. Maybe you're ready, but you're still not sure how this is going to happen or what it's going to take, and you're wondering if you really even have what it takes. And that's what we're going to look at today is giant killer qualifications. What will it take to bring down Goliath? What was it that made David successful? Many of you probably came here after deciding to defeat your giant, saying, I need to know what to do now. Give me David's three-step plan for secrets to success. I'm ready to take on the giant, but I need to know about the supernatural giant-slaying school for scared soldiers because I need to enlist in that right away. 
I'm ready to go. Well, unfortunately, there's not such a school and there's no such degree plan. It doesn't exist. But don't worry. We're going to look at the unlikely hero that God chose to use, and it's good news for you today. Some of you are going to have light bulbs come on today, and more giants are going to fall this week, and I can't wait to hear about it, and I better hear about it. Don't you celebrate in private. Let me know. So in 1 Samuel 17, we have this standoff between Goliath and the army of Israel. And this is going on for 40 days. Meanwhile, back at the farm, in verse 12, we find Jesse. And it says that Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now Jesse said to David, his son, Take the roasted grain, these ten loaves of bread for your brothers, and hurry to the camp. Take along these ten cheeses for the commander of their unit also. This is a pretty smart dad. That's a good move by dad, right? It's always a good idea to send food to your sons when you really want to check up on them. It's also not a bad idea to try to send some, some food to their boss, right? And uh, maybe, maybe get some favor for, for you and for them or, or whatever. It continues in verse 18. It says, See how your brothers are doing. Bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. Jesse was an old man. He was worried about his sons. He says, go and find out how your brothers are doing and hurry back with the news. I want to make sure they're not hurt. He was worried because he thought his boys were fighting a fierce battle against the Philistines. And it's true they were on a battleground, but they weren't fighting. They were running scared. David was sent to the front lines not to fight. He was sent by his father to take snacks to his brothers and find out how the battle was going, to make sure they were all right and that dad was concerned. This part of the story makes the ending even more unlikely. David was basically an Old Testament pizza delivery boy. He was just delivering the food to the guys doing the real work. He was a young boy. He was a shepherd and a musician. When was the last time that you were scared of a band nerd? My apologies to all the band nerds. But we're talking about going to war with giants. David was the most unlikely hero you could imagine. Jesse, David's father, had no idea that David was a giant killer. His own father. He wasn't a soldier. He was a delivery boy. Too young to be in the battle. Let me ask you this. What's the right age to kill a giant? How old do you have to be to be used by God? What's the right age to tell people about Jesus? Or what steps does a person need to take before they can stand for Jesus and combat the ever-increasing godlessness in the world? What kind of person does it take to make a difference? What are the prerequisites for someone that wants to make a difference in the world around them? When I was first starting as a youth pastor, I was 19 years old. I remember several people that refused to give me an opportunity because they said that 19 was too young to be a youth pastor. I was just barely not a youth anymore. And that was debatable. <laughs> I wasn't old enough to be on the church van insurance. There's probably some people today that think 35, I'm too young to be a pastor of a church. And all I can say is I'm working on that every day. <laughs> but all seriousness, what age is the right age? How much experience is enough experience? What determines the qualifications of a giant killer? You see, in the case of David, there were older, more experienced, and better qualified people to take down a giant, but they had allowed Goliath to remain for 40 days, and it was 40 days too long. 
So God prepared David to take on a giant that others were unwilling and unable to conquer. On the surface, David didn't appear to have many giant killer qualifications. Some of you have been using it as an excuse for not defeating your giant that you aren't qualified. You're not like David. David was a king and a warrior and this amazing person in the Bible, but you have it all wrong. It wasn't King David the warrior that God chose to kill Goliath. It was a sheep herding delivery boy that God used to kill a giant. And then as a result of his heart for God and his faithfulness, God promoted him to be a mighty warrior and a king. David didn't have a long list of giant killer qualifications. In fact, the list was probably of reasons why David wasn't qualified. His own dad didn't see it in him. He didn't get a master's degree from the school for giant slaying shepherd boys. He wasn't the biggest or the strongest or the best looking leader. But God was uniquely preparing David through circumstances and situations in his life to be able to confront and defeat the giant that was standing between him and all that God had for him. Sometimes we're really good at disqualifying ourselves and others. I'm too young. That person's too young. They aren't qualified. They need a lot of work. If you only knew about my life, oh, let me tell you about their life. I believe one of the best things that a church can do is to invest and prepare in the next generation of leaders to be giant killers and not be intimidated by the giants of culture and society. As a church, we need the next generation to rise up and slay some giants. That's why I volunteer on Wednesday nights to teach Royal Rangers. It's important for us to prepare the next generation to fight. I challenge you to help me prepare giant killers. I know I've pushed hard in this area, and I'm thankful for those that serve in kids and youth ministry and college ministry, but we need more people involved in these areas. Some of you are already serving and doing a lot, and I'm not asking those that are doing a lot to do more than you're able to do, but maybe... You're here today and you've been hesitant and you've been on the fence waiting for someone else to step up, but really God's calling you. Just a few weeks ago, we did a tag team sermon on passing the baton to the next generation. I'm going to keep putting this in front of us as a church because it's that important. I think that we can do a lot of things well as a church, but if we can only do one thing great, then let's be a church that's great at reaching and discipling the next generation to be giant killers. And let's have amazing kids and youth ministries with adequate adult care provided. Not a lot of amens there. We'll move on. It's okay. <laughs> Students, I want to encourage you to not let someone stop you because you're too young. I believe your generation is going to be the generation that defeats some giants that have stood undefeated for too long. You're going to take the gospel to places that it's never been in the world. I believe that there's ways of doing church that no one has thought of yet, and your generation is going to dream bigger dreams and see it happen in ways the previous generation never imagined. And if someone tells you that you're too young to make a difference, send them to me. You tell them that your pastor is committed to seeing you win and he believes that you have what it takes to defeat giants. Then you ignore the criticism and focus on the real enemy and the giant ahead of you. Don't allow people who are unwilling to defeat giants of their own to discourage you from defeating yours. You aren't just a delivery boy, you're a giant killer. Next week, we're going to talk about voices of criticism, and I need to stay focused today where we are, but listen to me. If you're looking for a list of reasons why you aren't qualified to take down your giant, then you're out of luck because David's qualification wasn't some ability that he had, but it was his availability to be used by God. God didn't just use him because he was young, and if you're not young, then God isn't going to use you. That's not it at all. 
David didn't just let being young disqualify him. He dared to believe that God could use him, and he refused to shrink back from Goliath. No matter if you're young or old or experienced or raw, if you've been saved in the church 50 years or you just got baptized two weeks ago in the river, God can and will use anyone. And if he'll use anyone, then he can use you and he can use me. You know what the right age to be a giant killer is? Whatever age that you are when you learn to depend on God and the power of the Holy Spirit instead of your own ability. It doesn't matter what your qualifications are. It matters how much of God you have inside of you. Go fight the battle and take on the giant. For Samuel 17, verse 20 sets up the story. David was too young to fight. He set out for the battlefield. He knew very little about what was going on at this point. He didn't know anything about Goliath. He expected to step onto a battlefield scene. He was just taking some snacks to his brothers, but it says in verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. He loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. When he gets on the scene, he finds something he didn't expect to find. The battle-hardened veterans were too afraid to fight. The experts weren't willing to take on the giant. The people who had been there and done that weren't willing to go there and do that anymore. So since that was the case, God chose an unlikely hero, a teenage shepherd boy, to defeat an intimidating giant. You may not feel qualified to tackle your giant. You've been waiting to learn the latest technique or to hear from an expert or some superstar preacher to tell you what to do. God doesn't need a star or an expert. He uses seemingly unqualified people and unlikely heroes. That's why God can use you. I'd like to think that one reason that God chose David when he did at that point in time in his life is because he wanted to give us confidence that if God could use a simple shepherd boy, then he can use us. He can use a housewife. He can use a maintenance man or a single mom. He can use students or retired teachers, a businessman, a child, a grandparent. God can use you. The reason is because what God is able to do through you has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the God that you serve. Amen. It's not about your strength or your ability or your power or your knowledge. Your experience or your qualifications don't matter at all. It's about the God inside of you. God is going to work through you to help you defeat your giant. So what do we do? First thing you've got to do is you've got to ditch your excuses permanently. There's not a big list of qualifications that you need to meet. There's no prerequisite that you have to have completed. God uses seemingly unqualified and unlikely people. Don't allow excuses to convince you that he can't or won't use you. Ditch your excuses and do it permanently. Verse 20 goes on to say that David reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines to face each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So here we have David arriving at the camp. The thrill of where he's at is soon replaced with the reality of what's taking place. Imagine is what he must have thought as he heard for the first time what the soldiers and his brothers have heard for 40 days as this giant Goliath is cursing God and cursing the army of the Israelites. And he sees everyone else shrink back in fear. But David refuses to shrink back and said, he said, no one talks about my God that way. This was the 41st day for the soldiers who had given in to fear, but it was the first day for David and he didn't know he was supposed to be afraid. He instead was ticked off and ready to fight. 
There's an old style arcade game that I love called Galaga. I'll take on any of you and I will win. I'm a longtime high score holder in the game of Galaga. Some of you may be familiar with it. You fly a starship, you try to destroy enemy spaceships. And the thing that you need to know about Galaga is that if you defeat the enemy early, it's a lot easier. But if you wait, the enemy ships will multiply and get stronger. If you let them live, then there become more and more of them and they're harder to kill. You can learn something about giants from Galaga today. It's the way it is in life as well. The longer you allow your giant to remain, the stronger and more intimidating it becomes. The, the army of Israel had allowed him to remain for 40 days. They had shrunk back in fear every morning, every night, 80 times. And the giant became stronger and stronger every time, more emboldened by their actions and the lack of actions. The longer you allow your giant to remain, the stronger and more intimidating it becomes in your life. The giant of addiction isn't going to become weaker in your life over time. Depression isn't just going to fade out. The debt from your overspending habit isn't going to magically be erased one day. The reason that your giant seems so intimidating and impossible to overcome is because you've been facing it for far too long. Mm -hmm. It's not really bigger. It just seems bigger because you've given it a bigger stronghold in your life. I didn't like to eat vegetables as a kid. Some of you can relate. You're going on 50 years of being the kid that doesn't like vegetables. I hated peas the most. They were terrible. My parents loved to make peas all the time, mostly to terrorize me. So I would do this thing as they would make me eat the peas. I would stick the biggest bite of peas I could possibly fit in my mouth because I figured if I just eat three big bites, it'll be done. At least that's what my dad kept telling me. But I would chew this bite over and over and over and over and over and over again and just chew and chew and chew and chew and chew. And I wouldn't swallow because I knew at the moment that I did, it was all coming back up. <laughs> and I remember, unfortunately, I still remember the voice from my parents saying, you must love the taste of those peas as much as you keep them in your mouth so long. <laughs> Some of you must love the giants in your life because you give them such a big stronghold and a big part of your life for so long. You just enjoy being terrorized. You enjoy allowing them to remain in your life because if you didn't, you would deal with your giant immediately. The giant that you're unwilling to deal with when you're strong will kill you when you're weak. Deal with it now. Don't wait another day. Start right now. Start today. Don't delay. Why would you wait? Oh, I'm going to start a diet next week. Why would, you, why, why would I want to start when I'm about to go on vacation? Okay, so go on vacation. Eat whatever you want. Gain 10 more pounds and then your giant's that much bigger. <laughs> Well, I'm going to wait to defeat my giant until my schedule isn't so busy, and then I'll cut back on my drinking problem. Or I've got a big project due at school, and I've got too much stress. Once I get back into a normal routine, then I'll deal with my giant. How's that working out for you? I'm tired. Next week, I'll feel better. In January, I'll be more motivated. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. The battle isn't going to be easier because you wait. There will never be a better day to face your giant than today. Verse 25, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man that kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. That's very generous of the king that's about to lose his entire kingdom to give <laughs> such great things. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? The teenager David is sitting there hearing all this, saying, are you kidding me? There's no one willing to fight 
Do you hear what that giant's saying? And then he's hearing about this reward. He's saying, am I hearing this right? There's this huge reward and no one even for that reward is willing to go out and fight. It had to be an impressive reward for a kid. But ultimately, look how David responds. It wasn't to the wealth or to the promise of reward or to the daughter's hand in marriage. All that was just bonus. But to the cause that there is, David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Later in the passages, David asks, is there not a cause? David heard Goliath curse God and he couldn't believe what was going on. He was dumbfounded at what he discovered was being allowed to take place when he thought he was coming to a battlefield and that's the furthest thing from what's happening. Are you really letting this guy talk about our God that way? We can't allow this to go on. In fact, David determined he couldn't allow that giant to live even one more day. Mm -hmm. I don't care how big he is. David's not counting up the reward that he'll get if he kills the giant. He's counting the cost of letting the giant live. You know when you'll decide to face your giant? You'll face your giant when you realize the cost of allowing your giant to remain. You've probably thought about how much of a challenge it would be to fight. You've thought about what it will cost you to fight and the difficulty and the effort that will be required to fight. But have you thought about the cost of letting the giant live and stay where he is? What is that addiction costing you? Not just money, but in health and in trust and in relationships with God and with other people. How much is the unforgiveness and the bitterness costing you? How far are you willing to fall into depression before you decide to get some help? How much out of, is your out-of-control temper costing you? Is it really worth it? Think about all that it's cost you at work and at home and with your family. You need to discover the cost of complacency. There's a price for every issue in your life. Think for just a moment about how much your giant's costing you and your family and the people that you love. Look down at your list of giants that you wrote earlier. Just take a moment and look at that list and ask yourself today, how much is that giant costing you? How much are you going to allow it to cost you? Maybe that's when you decide to fight. Ask yourself, what is the cost of this giant in your life over the next five years if you leave it just the way it is? Ethan, if you'll come and just begin to play softly. There's a cost to your complacency. There's a cost to allowing the giant to remain in your life. If you don't deal with the giant today, every day it gets bigger. Every day it costs you more. Every day it's going to be harder for you to bring it down. It's time don't take it anymore. It's time to get mad enough and determined enough to fight the giant. For some of you, this giant has cost you way too much and for far too long already. It's time to take the giant down. It's time to fight. It's time to look at your giant and say, you cannot remain. Satan, I won't allow you to continue this work in my life. Before you fight, you have to decide that it's worth it that the cost of allowing your giant to remain is greater than the cost of fighting. Fight. <clears throat> you were born to kill giants and not to run from the fight. Not because you have the power and the ability and the experience and the might. Not because you're qualified or not, uh, not because of some other, other reason or ability that you have. It's time to get rid of those excuses and all the things that you're waiting to have happen so you can fight the giant in your life. 
it's not because of anything to do with who you are, but because of the God of all creation that you serve. His power is inside of you. You fight in His power and in His ability. It's time to fight. It's time to deal with the giant today. Don't let it get any stronger than it already has in your life. Draw a line in the sand and fight the giant now. I want you to know that I, I know we're not talking about a quick fix. I'm not at all minimizing the crippling and debilitating and life-threatening power of giants in your life. What I am saying is that we have a choice today. And the first step of the journey is to lift our eyes higher than nine feet tall. See, the same David that took down that giant Goliath in Psalm 8 is the same giant who said, when I consider the heavens, the moon and the stars that you have made and the work of your fingers. He was saying, when I sit out here with the sheep and I look up into the night sky and I see the stars and when I look up at them and I see, I hear you say, who, who am I that you're mindful of me? See, David walked into the valley of Elah with his eyes focused on above on the greatness of God. And when a nine feet giant walked out, a nine foot nine inch giant walked out, David said, okay, that's big. But I've come to know a God that's bigger than that. I've lifted my eyes to someone that's higher and bigger than me and bigger than you and bigger than the giant in front of me. It's time to lift your eyes up. We talked last week about how giants are a matter of perspective. And if you're looking at the giant and all that's in your eyes is the giant and all that's coming out of your mouth is praise for the giant, then the giant's going to remain. But at the moment that you lift your eyes and you begin to look at God and you see something that's bigger and greater than the giant and then all of a sudden what comes out of your mouth is praise for God that's bigger than the giant, then you're going to see your giant fall. I know what you're thinking. It all sounds great. I'm ready to fight, but how? Don't get impatient. We're going to dig deeper over the next four weeks. But today, the most important thing for you to know is that it's not about your giant killing qualifications. In fact, it's not about you at all. It's about the God in you. You already know what your giants are. You know that they're real. But you've got to come to know that God is bigger. And in the name of Jesus, our Goliaths will fall. I want to give you another opportunity this morning. If you're ready to fight your giants, maybe you weren't here last week or maybe you were and you stood, but I want to ask you to stand again. I want to pray for you right where you are. If you stood last week, that's okay, but stand again. Your giant's not defeated or maybe you've identified some additional giants and you're ready to fight your giant. I want to include you in my closing prayer today. If you've come to a place where you say, you know what, my giant's going to fall. I'm going to fight my giant. It's not going to stay any longer. I want you just to stand right where you are. And I'm just going to pray a closing prayer for everybody here today. If you're ready to fight your giant, stand up. Stand up. It's time to fight. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait anymore. Goliath's got to fall. Don't leave that giant in your life, letting him get stronger, letting him get bigger. Make a decision to fight your giant today. You're able. God in you is able. God, today across this room, I see giant killers, and I see people who maybe don't think that they're able, or maybe don't think that they are giant killers, but God, it's not by their own might or their own power, but by your spirit that they will overcome and defeat giants. We come against every attack and lie of the enemy that would try to discourage or dissuade any person from achieving victory over the giants in their life. God, I pray that the giants would be defeated today. 
that this week we would hear good reports of Goliath's falling. God, that you would supernaturally begin the work that only you can do. We recognize that we're going to have to fight in the natural as well. And God, I pray for people to come alongside. I pray for accountability partners. I pray for people inside of Chi Alpha small groups that will come alongside and assist with these giants. God, I pray for people inside of a church that will come alongside and be an iron that sharpens iron for those that are facing giants in their life and want to see them fall. I pray for family members that will come alongside. I pray for those people that need to make the tough decision to get help. And maybe that's through a treatment or a professional but, Lord, you can use that as well. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would bring all these things together. Lord, that as people have taken the first step of standing to fight their giant today, that they would not back down. They would not shrink back. They would not be terrorized. They would not run and hide from their giant any longer. But they would face the giant, and the giant would fall. God, would you remind us that it's not all up to us and it doesn't depend on us, and that you are strengthening us and empowering us for the fight ahead. You are on our side. I thank you for giant killers and overcomers in this place today. I thank you in advance for the giants that will fall. God, we pray that they would begin to fall one by one by one by one, that we would hear the greatness of our God as the giants come falling down. Thank you for who you are. 